Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. What is going on, everybody? Whoa, that was weak sauce, everybody. That was, it's like y'all were surprised. You're like, why is he out here? It's time to preach, everybody. For those who do not know, my name is Nick, and I'm so excited to be able to open up God's Word today with you and to see what he has for us. And I know that he has a word for us. And I just want to say a special welcome to Buchanan and also those watching online. We're so thankful that we get to influence those who are not in this place, but they can still worship alongside of us. Last week was an incredible week as we began a series called Homesick, talking about the prodigal. And last week, Brady did a great job talking to us about home, not just being a place, but being a person. And our prison ministry pastor, Steve Austin, by being vulnerable and sharing his story, y'all, it was a strong story. If you have not been able to watch it, I will go back online, watch it, because it truly was incredible. In my favorite passage from last week, let's read it again. It says this in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 22, it says this, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on them. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. I am learning as a father that I celebrate all kinds of weird things that my kids do. Let me give you some examples. When a kid first starts eating baby food, you're like, whoa, you ate stewed meat, yeah! Or when your kid takes the first steps, I mean, you're like, whoa, you walked and then you tripped, praise God, yes! You know, or when you have a kid that is driving for the first time and they finally get it and you can get out of the car without wanting to kill them. You are really, really excited because a father celebrates. And that's not even the weirdest things we celebrate. If you are not a parent and you haven't walked through this yet, like you find yourself as a parent cheering when your kid poops for the first time in a potty. Y'all better make say amen. You're like, we about to get a raise because you about to be out of diapers. Praise the lamb. I remember when my youngest got potty trained. The older two kids was like, whoa, Nash can poop in a party. And I'm sure they weren't that excited about the fact that Nash was pooping in the potty. But because their father was excited, they were excited. But we're going to see today that this older brother was not that excited about his brother coming home, even though his father was excited, even though his father was ecstatic. No, as we pick up this story, which we're going to see in just a moment, we see that this older brother, instead of coming into the house to celebrate the younger brother who returned home, we're going to see that the young, the older brother was outside staring through the window. Why? Why didn't he go in and celebrate? Why didn't he take a moment to celebrate his brother coming home? And I think the older brother was similar to a lot of us in this place today. 
we would rather look through a window and judge the younger brother or the person who sins differently than us instead of looking at the mirror and seeing our own heart revealed. Because if I'm looking through the window and taking account of all the ways you have failed, you know what I don't have to do is go inside and look in the mirror at myself. I don't have to be faced with the ways that maybe I fall short or maybe the ways I don't measure up. Because why? Because I'm too busy pointing my finger at you. And what happens for me is I start feeling justified. Well, I know I might have a bitter heart and I know that I might not always do things well, but look at you. And so today, we're going to navigate this story. And here's the thing I don't like about this story. There are many things, but the thing I really don't like is how I see myself in this older brother. Yeah, I would tell you I can resonate and relate to the younger brother, but also there is a lot of me in this older brother. And so today, we're going to navigate Scripture and see what some things we can learn and maybe just maybe how we can better accept the invitation from a father who extends grace to both brothers. The grace is the same, even though they might have sinned differently. So I invite you to pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you do. Lord, my prayer for us is over the next few moments as we get the opportunity to open up your word, is that we will allow your word to take root in our hearts so maybe, just maybe, something could blossom and we could live differently in light of it. Lord, may we not be a people that are not willing to walk inside and look in the mirror. May we be a people that just embrace the invitation that you give us to celebrate someone who was far coming near. May we be a people that celebrate the fact that you still invite us in, even though when our heart is not right. May we be a people, Jesus, that just allow your word just to do a work in us and through us. Jesus, we love you, we thank you, and we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's continue in Luke chapter 15. We're going to pick up the story in chapter 25. So remember, the audience in which Jesus is talking to is he is talking to the sinners, he is talking to the Pharisees, who on the outward appearance look like they have everything together. And at this point in the story, the Pharisees are thinking to themselves, "Woo, Jesus isn't talking to me until he gets to verse number 25. Let's dive in. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Verse 27. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, the older brother was close in proximity to the father, but his heart was distant. He was close in proximity, but his heart was far away. Because remember, this is not just the story of the prodigal son. It's the story of the prodigal sons. The prodigal son, even though he, one ran off, there was, other, there was another one who was close in proximity, but his heart was so far. 
See, this story is one of those stories that just reveals really the nature of all of us, of us having this place of we like to look good on the outside, but on the inside, there's something really, really not good going on. And so this father goes outside because he knows something is not right. He knows that something is wrong with the older brother. And the reason he knows that is because there is a party going on. They have a soul train line inside. And the older brother is standing outside with his arms crossed going, "Mm mm-mm, not today. And so his his father goes out to meet him. See, this older son was homesick. His heart had turned bitter. He started to view the father in a negative lens. He started to view his brother in an even more negative lens. He was homesick. And I think about this sometimes. I think about myself whenever I find myself in corporate worship experiences. I think about some of the times when my heart is not in the right place for whatever reason. Maybe it's because of bitterness. Maybe it's because of something else. But I I think of sometimes when I've been invited home, but yet I'm home, but I'm still sick because I have been ridden with bitterness. And we see with this older son is that probably he's even in a worse of a situation. Why? Because he feels even more justified with his heart. There's nothing wrong with me. He was the one who left. I've been here, which we're going to see here in just a moment. I've been here doing all the things, checking off the boxes, but yet his heart was still far away from the Father. And we have said this before. I think the most deadliest of sins is that sin which is closest to the truth. See, there's nothing wrong with him going, hey, brother, why did you leave? But there is something wrong for him allowing that seed of bitterness to take root in his heart and to grow into something that was never intended. Verse 29. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. See, the older brother believed that the lie that the father's love must be earned. I'm going to read that again. The older brother believed a lie that the father's love had to be earned. He thought that by doing all the things, working in the field, being obedient, that somehow he was justified in his father loving him. Somehow, through the course of all his actions and all of his outward stuff, that the father was more apt to love him because he, in his mind, deserved to be loved. See, the older son had this problem because he saw himself as a slave and not a son. He viewed his father as this dictator who demanded all this stuff but didn't offer him love unless he earned it. He couldn't see the father accurately because he was not close to the father. He wanted to hold up all the things and say, hey, I understand why you could love somebody like me, but I don't understand how you could love somebody like that. You ever had that thought in your head before? You don't have to say that out loud. But I've, th- I've thought about the times where I have thought that about people. 
Or I've seen people struggle in different ways to me, and I've seen people far from God, and I go, mm mm, mm mm, mm mm, mm God, how could you love that person? Look at them. But because I'm looking through the window and not looking in the mirror, I get distracted and I don't see my own heart. It says this in Acts. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Here's the deal. God doesn't need anything from us. Can I say it again? Because some of us walk around like we're, God, we're the greatest gift that God has ever had. Like, God, you thankful for me? Look how I bless those people. God, did you see how much I gave to your church? You better thank somebody. God, did you see how I did not drop kick my kids? You better praise me. I mean, we treat sometimes God like we are a gift to him, like, hey, Father, look at what I am doing. No wonder you love me. No wonder you sent your son to down a cross for me. How could you not? And I have thought the same old thing. I have this thought. I'm sure none of y'all are like me, but I have a lot of dysfunction going on right up in here, okay? But I have this thought that I honestly, at the end of the day, I am a recovering grace earner. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is I have this replaying record in my head that goes like this, and I know it's false, but it still plays in my head. Nick, when you give a good sermon, God loves you more. And it was subtle at first. I wasn't even aware that it was going on until I remember one time I walked off stage and I didn't feel as good and confident about the sermon. I went, God, you're probably disappointed in me. Hey, God, you probably are pretty bummed that you chose me and you used me tonight, and I just really didn't live up to that. God, you probably are are sad about what just happened. Do you see the dysfunction in that? There have also been times which I have sinned. I know, go ahead and gasp now. There have been times where I have sinned and I have thought to myself, God, you probably can't use me because I'm a broken vessel and I'm a sinner. And the Lord just in his own way keeps whispering to me, hey, Nick, you've gotten it all wrong. See, grace, by definition, you can't pay for it because you don't deserve it. And guys, we know that. We could tell that to other people, but sometimes the cup in which we're pouring out, we got to drink from ourselves. And I have to say something to myself every single time I get in front of people and communicate God's word. I have to repeat this to myself or I will begin believing this lie that I have been called to earn grace. And here's what I have to say to myself. Nick, as off the stage as on the stage. Nick, you are no more or no less when you're sitting in the seat, when you're not on a platform, than you are when you step onto a platform. Nick, you don't deserve grace, but I give it to you even when you're not on the stage earning my grace. And the older brother thought somehow that he could earn this freedom that he could earn this grace because he tells his father, hey, father, here's all the things I have done and here's why I am justified at feeling the way that I feel. And I know you probably never, ever felt that way, but I do often. 
I remember having the conversation with my wife. And I'm ashamed to tell you this story, but I'm going to tell you because we're going to be real here, okay? I remember we were having this discussion. And she was telling me, like, hey, babe, I feel like you're not helping this way, and I really would like it if you could step in right here. And here is what I said to her because I felt very justified in my actions, and how dare she tell me that I did not deserve for her to like me no matter what. I looked at her and said, do you know how many women? I know, it it don't get any better either. (laughs) Do you know how many women would love a husband like me? And and, and I wish, y'all, I wish it would have stopped. Like, I wish I could tell younger Nick, shut up. (laughs) But then you start naming, like, I go out and I work, implying that she doesn't because she's a stay-at-home mother. What is wrong with this brother? And I even, when I come home, I even pick up stuff, implying that she hasn't done anything all day except watch a soap opera and eat bonbons. What was wrong with me? But I felt justified. Why? Because I had this list of righteousness that I had made myself, and I want to hold it up and show her. And this is the same thing we see this older son doing. It's, hey, this is why I deserve to be loved. He forgot the simple fact that grace was not something that was earned, but it's something that's accepted. There's a lead singer of a band. He said this, ironically, I've often found that it's my good works that keep me from clinging to Christ, not my bad ones. I read that and I was like, shut your mouth. Because I don't know if you've ever felt like someone is reading your mail. As I've been preparing this message, me and the Holy Spirit have wrestled, y'all. Because I keep going, well, that's not me. Really? Well, it kind of is. Okay, it is. Because it's almost like I want to not allow the Lord to see me at my worst. And what he keeps reminding me of is that he sent his son for me while yet I was still a sinner at my worst. So I don't have anything to hide. I don't have anything to prove. I don't have to hold up my righteousness to him and say, here, I just want you to see all the ways that I have earned your love. I don't have to do that. He says, come as you are, and I love you in the midst of that, and I make you whole. Luke 15, 30. The older son continues to say this to the father, but when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Woo! You want to know the most frustrating thing about grace? It's not fair. The most frustrating thing about grace is the fact that it is not fair. Because see, the older brother believed the lie that the father's grace must have limits. There's only so much you can do before the grace runs out. There's only so far you can go. If you go out of this zip code of sin, then the father will not love you anymore. His grace has a limit. That's the lie that this older brother was believing. But here is what you have to understand. In the economy of God, grace does not ever run out. And some of you are sitting there and you're probably thinking to yourself, you know what? 
I've offered grace in a situation in my life, maybe with a spouse, and, and Nick, I just don't know if it's at a healthy place. Listen, I'm not talking about enabling here. And if you're trying to figure out if what you're doing is offering grace without no end or you're enabling someone to continue to hurt you, we have a care ministry here that would love to talk to you. We have pastors here that would love to navigate that with you. But I will say the majority of people, the majority of us are not offering out grace in abundance. Is that fair to say? Like, yeah, there are some other special circumstances, but the majority of us are not handing out grace freely and often. Luke, verse 31. My son, I love that part. Do you notice that this father doesn't call this older son by his sin either? He gives him a definition from his perspective. You are my son. Your heart is far from me. You're holding up all your righteousness to prove to me that I owe you something. But let me just tell you, I'm still going to identify you from my perspective. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. So I just said a moment ago, the most frustrating thing about grace is that it is unfair. The most beautiful thing about grace is it is not fair. Frustrating thing about grace is it's unfair. The most beautiful thing about grace is it's unfair. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is we want grace for us to be unfair, don't we? But we want, uh, we want grace for others to be unfair <laughs> or fair. Well, based on what you have done, you don't deserve grace, so that's fair. But here's the deal. It can't be one way and not the other. Grace is not fair by definition because none of us deserve it anyways. We have to understand that we are the ones who ran towards darkness and ran away from the light and decided that we knew better than our father knew. And what did God do in his goodness? And we see it even in, in the Garden of Eden. Even in the midst of Adam and Eve's sin, what does he do? He sacrifices something to cover their sin and shame. And we see that's the rhythm of his narrative. He covers our sin and shame, even though it is undeserved. There is no business the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has to get up on a cross and surrender to his life to his very creation for his very creation. That's just not fair. But because he was willing to take on unfairness, he is able to offer grace even though it is undeserved and unfair fair. And I love this. I love the fact that grace isn't fair. I love the fact that the father took a step towards me first when he allowed his son to step out of glory and put on skin and live perfectly for 33 years to win me back. And I love the fact that Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship with a king who stepped out of glory to win me back. Let us not dare be a people that turn Christianity, this invitation into relationship with the creator God, into religion about rules and regulations. 
Because first it is about relationship. And the way we navigate from there is just in response to a good father who gave his son to win us back. And it shifts from checking off boxes to, man, thanks be to God that I get to run a different way because he made a way where there was no way. Praise be to God that I get to live in freedom and to walk in freedom because he has set me free. And I get to live free indeed. That is the Christian life, y'all. Let us not be a people that will dwindle it down to a bunch of rules and regulations that we have to follow But, man, we be a people that are responding to the goodness of a king, and we can't help ourselves but to reflect said king. In our homes, in our businesses, wherever we go, because of what he has done. Verse 32. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead And is alive again. He was lost and is found. As Jesus is telling the story about this father and illustrates his love so perfectly, he says to this older son, Hey, your brother was lost and he has been found. The father is looking at his older son who was outside looking in judging his older brother judging his younger brother but yet the father walks out and what does the father do he invites him to come in the house still he says man we gotta celebrate because not only is his younger son he has been found but maybe maybe just maybe the older son can be found even though he was unaware that he was lost. And that is something worthy to be celebrated. There's another quote by that singer of that band. He says this, I find that the more I celebrate others, the more joyful I become. Let me say it this way. Celebration keeps me from comparison and jealousy. Here is the invitation to the older brother from the father, and it's the invitation that he gives to us in this place today. It is this. You can choose to stay outside or come in and enjoy the feast. We can choose to stay outside and hold up all of our good deeds and say, God, you you owe me something. We can stand outside and continue to point the fingers at other people who aren't sinning the way we sin or sin that we feel is greater than our own. We could do that. We could do that, y'all, and feel very justified in it. Or we can accept a better invitation to come inside and enjoy the feast. I need to tell you guys something. I really like food. I do. Might be part of the reason why I always talk about it. I like all kinds of food, but you give me some barbecue ribs, a crumble cookie with some Andy's custard on top, I'm in heaven. (laughs) And what I love is that this father is going, hey, older son, don't you want to come in and party with me? Don't you want to come in and be whole? 
Don't you want to come in and celebrate the fact that even though you were undeserving of this grace, I still offer it to you anyways? Hey, son, don't you just want to come and dwell with me? It says this in Ephesians chapter 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You haven't been brought near because of your good deeds. You haven't been brought near because you have been good enough. You haven't been brought near because of the size of check you give when you tithe. You have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What I discovered that happens when I decide to step from outside and looking through the window and I come and stand in the mirror and I see some things that I do not like, I see some ways that my heart is not right, I see some ways that I'm failing. Here's what I love about stepping inside and looking in the mirror. Do you know who stands with me? The Father. So when the Father looks in that mirror with me, he sees the completed work that he has done. He sees the robe he has put on me and the ring on my finger, and he calls me beloved. Not because of what I held up, not because I am good enough, but because of him. These sons were able to celebrate not because they put on the party themselves, not because they earned the right, but because their father put on a celebration to celebrate that they had come home and he provided the means to do so. And he is still doing that today in this place. And when we step from outside looking through the window and we step inside with the father. He calls for the fattened calf and he kills it. And he says, let's have a feast and celebrate. For these sons of mine who were dead are now alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. I don't know if you've ever seen a baptism here, but it is fun. It's one of my favorite things I ever get to see. Why? Because it's a picture of the celebration that has happened because someone who was lost has been found and someone who was dead is now alive. And so we celebrate. So as I think about that, I think to myself, have you come inside? Have you stepped from behind the window and stepped inside with the Father? And maybe you have. Maybe you've accepted the invitation, but you have the tendency to go back outside and look through the window. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you haven't accepted the grace that the Father has extended you, not based on you, but based on his character and his completed work. So right where you are, would you bow your heads for me? I don't know where you are. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know about your relationship to our good Father.
But maybe, just maybe, you recognize right here and right now that you haven't accepted the invitation to come into the house and to feast at the table. And if that's you, maybe you could say something like this if you're ready to accept that invitation. Dear Jesus, I don't understand it all. Nobody does. But in the best way I know how, I say yes to your completed work on a cross where you died for me. I say yes to your resurrection over the grave where you showed me and revealed to me that death no longer wins because you overcame it and because you overcame it. And with your completed work, I can overcome it as well. And so Jesus, I say yes. I'll come and feast and eat with you and become as a son or daughter of the king. If you were able to pray something like that on the authority of God's word, it says that you will be saved. And if that was you, I hope that when we're done in this place today, that you will tell somebody that you won't leave this place without telling somebody. Or maybe you said yes to that gift, but your heart has grown bitter because maybe the father hasn't done for you what you thought he should do. Maybe the day is the day where you stop carrying that bitterness and carrying that load and you surrender it and say, hey, Jesus, I no longer want to walk in this direction. I want to walk with you. We call that repentance. Maybe you have never allowed the world to see the fact that you have stood with Jesus and accepted his invitation. And maybe your step is You need to let your family celebrate with you of what God has done inside of you. And maybe you need to say yes to baptism as your next step of obedience. I don't know where you are, but whatever you are, my prayer for you is that you will take a step. So Jesus, you are good. Jesus, thank you for what you have done. And thank you for the fact that grace isn't fair. Thank you that you've invited us in. And that we can look in the mirror and we can see you reflected in it because you are the one that has done the heavy lifting. We love you. We thank you and pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.